We're getting close to the middle of the retreat. And I think it's uh, helpful at this time to say a little bit more about a theme which has really been there right at the center from the start. And that's the theme of developing a wise or skillful effort in our concentration practice. What does wise effort mean? We've given a lot of attention to this theme of uh, relaxation, ease, particularly relaxed attention as a guide to how to be skillful in our concentration practice. So I want to take some of the themes and expand and deepen them and particularly um, explore in these ways. I'd like first to return generally to look at the nature of our concentration practice and uh, why we do it, some of the core intentions of our practice, and then look at why, in particular, uh, skillful effort is a major concern because of the challenges of concentration practice. I'll talk some about the challenges and how developing skillful effort is a response to that. Look at uh, wise effort both generally and then give a number of uh, suggestions, a lot of them coming out of my own experience, about uh, wise effort in our concentration practice. That'll be the heart, really, of the talk. Uh, A number of suggestions, hints, tips. And my hope is that uh, one or two or three of them is valuable, are valuable, is valuable. I always give these talks with my high school English teacher, Miss Baker, on one of my shoulders, (laughs) making grammatical corrections as I proceed. So, (laughs) anyway, um, and really end with uh, some exploration of what our concentration practice looks like as it gets deeper in terms of this theme of wise or skillful effort. So first, a really coming back to this question of what concentration practice is, and I I wanted to return a little bit to the very word samadhi, which is uh, translated as concentration. And in some ways, I think that uh, translation can be uh, tricky or even unfortunate, because the word concentration has so many connotations I think in uh, Western languages, certainly in English, that it can suggest a kind of willful, controlled effort uh, coming from a a separated place where I am applying concentration on something else. And it certainly can uh, suggest that. And at times our our practice, when I think we are um, maybe under the influence of a lot of cultural models of what concentration is, can look like that. And we've been trying to emphasize how that can be uh, problematic. And it's helpful to look actually at the etymology of the word samadhi, because it has, uh, as the primary root, 
the, the word S-A-M or the, the, um, the part of the word S-A-M. And uh, coming from the Pali language, which is Indo-European language, and so it actually has a parallels with words in English like summary or summation. And the root actually has to do with a gathering or a collecting. And so uh, there's a sense in which uh, samadhi could better be uh, translated, and we've emphasized this quite a bit, as a kind of collecting of attention or collecting of mind or unification of our mind, mind and heart. Um, in fact, that is brought out in one of the primary texts on concentration is the path of purification or the Pasudimaga from about the fifth century. And there's this line in it, uh, samadhi is the profitable unification of mind. It is the centering of consciousness, mind and heart evenly and appropriately on a single object, undistracted and unscattered. And so I think that that sense of collecting and unifying our being can be very, very helpful and very, very helpful for guiding us when we look to the question of what is skillful effort. Um, One of the beauties of the concentration practice is the simplicity that we're only doing one thing all day long. This can also drive us batty. Both. It can also be incredibly uh, beautiful and relaxing, right? Uh, for many of us, not having anything to do can be relaxing. For some of us, it makes us nervous, right? So it goes in both ways. Um, but there's, there's a way in which that, uh, uh, as we deepen in the practice, that quality of simplicity can be quite beautiful. There's a, there's a wonderful line from uh, Kierkegaard, the uh, 19th century philosopher, in which he says, uh, purity of heart is to will one thing. To have one's being really organized in a way which is unified and simple and really focused can, can, can open up the heart, you know, I think as we, we often experience here. And it's also helpful in our practice of concentration to keep coming back, maybe, maybe even reminding ourselves uh, daily of the purposes of our, of our practice. Uh, that our core aim at this retreat is to deepen each of our levels of concentration. Wherever that level is, and there's a continuum, and sometimes we don't know where it is, and so forth, but we're really inviting a deepening, a deepening of concentration. And the, the broader aim of that deepening is for the purposes of seeing more clearly, of having insight into our experience, insight into our lives, becoming uh, ultimately more free, moving, toward, moving towards freedom. I think it was Adrian who, near the beginning of the retreat, uh, quoted the Buddha, 
practitioners develop concentration. A practitioner who is concentrated understands things as they are. You know, that way that concentration has the ability to uh, cut through distraction, to have our minds working out of a basis of peace and clarity, settledness, stability, which makes it possible to not be so knocked around by thoughts and emotions, to really stay uh, focused on what is happening, to be able to have enough quiet so we don't get distracted so easily. You know, so it has a meaning in our retreat, it has a meaning in daily life. It means that with more concentration, when I have scary thought number three appears in everyday life, threatening to take me away for the next three hours or three days, if I have more concentration, I say, I see you, scary thought number three. And then, you know, skillful response springs into action. Um, and this is the potential of our concentration on a very everyday level. It really translates into that. This is one of the reasons we do concentration practice. It has that kind of impact on an everyday level, and it has uh, impact at the level of retreat as well. You know, at the level of retreat, it helps us to see more deeply, ultimately, into what is considered the nature of our experience that we usually don't see clearly. And in particular in the tradition, it's seen or it's uh, said that we see more clearly, particularly into impermanence, into the flux and change of things because we tend to, when the mind is uh, not so concentrated, we tend to be really uh, ruled by concepts which make us solidify reality and we don't see the change. When the mind gets quiet, we see more the change and flux. And we also uh, see more clearly into uh, the fact of suffering, its nature and the roots of suffering. And also how to, how to respond to that. We see how the mind gets stuck or caught And again, it's concentration which can help us to do that. And lastly, we see more clearly into uh, the way that uh, ourselves and all objects are interdependent and they're in the way that there is nothing really that is separate and independent. And it cuts through, again, a lot of our ideas about being independent, separate selves. We come to see more ourselves freed from the the habitual concepts. And so it's concentration that really helps us to do that. And we'll be exploring this a little bit more later in the retreat. And yet we we know very much that in this retreat uh, and in our lives, it's challenging in many, many ways to develop a more concentrated mind. We know that That's, this, is, this is our daily exploration. 
you know, we, we explore the challenges, we explore what works, we explore what helps us to open up more to a more concentrated mind. And I was thinking of uh, three general kinds of challenges. One are sort of basic challenges that are there much of the time. A second set of challenges come when we think that we're not doing so well. And a third set of challenges come when we think that we're doing well. <laughs> so, you know, with the, the general challenges are those we know very well of the overly active mind, the distracted mind, the so-called hindrances arising, the desire, aversion, sleepiness, uh, restlessness, uh, doubt about ourselves, doubt about what we're doing, doubt about concentration retreats, etc. And, and, and um, these arise, you know, the, we, and we, we, uh, you know, we explored in quite a lot of uh, beautiful depth last night from uh, Adrian, just a, a number of ways to work with those uh, hindrances, or, you know, I think a literal translation of that term, it's nivirana, a literal translation is difficult energies, as I understand it. And there's also, in, in, uh, as Adrian also mentioned, in concentration retreat, really in all retreats, there's also a process of what we often call purification, which is that the, sort of the unresolved parts of ourselves, often half-conscious or unconscious, uh, appear when we're not so busy. You know, could be, could be aspects of our personality, aspects of our daily life, unresolved grief and so forth. And this is also, uh, can, can be challenging. And there are then various ways we get unbalanced with our effort. We can be overly striving or we can't summon enough energy and so forth. And I'll talk about those more in detail. And then there are the kind of challenges where we think we're not doing so well, where we judge ourselves, where we compare ourselves to where we thought we should have been by uh, near the end of day four. For those of you who have not been tracking time, this is, <laughs> this is the end of day four. <laughs> you know, there's, so there can be, you know, discouragement, there can be... Uh, we can think that uh, the Buddha was wrong about uh, impermanence, that hindrances are permanent. <laughs> if you think that, then just really, this is when impermanence is very, very good news. Right? So it's, it's good to reflect at that time. And there are challenges when we're doing well. Right? There are challenges uh, we may uh, find uh, peaceful states or blissful states. And then there are the challenges of wanting us to have those every further session for the whole retreat, right? We can grab hold of them. We can try to duplicate our experience. We can try to figure out what it was that led us to the, those beautiful states. You know, we can say what, how much, you know, how much yogurt did I have that morning? <laughs> Never. We can, you know, we can go half crazy trying to find out what the conditions were. So there are a lot of these challenges, and 
there's, there's this way that uh, looking at the nature of skillful effort is really, really crucial. You know, because there are these challenges that come about, and how do we meet them? How do we work with them? How do we work with these particular um, uh, challenges which come up in concentration practice? And so there's, there's something uh, quite beautiful, I think, about the exploration of uh, skillful effort. We've been really pointing to how it has a lot to do with this relaxed attention. You know, and, and with, I'm going to point to something like a combination of a, a skillful, active effort to particularly to connect with the breath, to touch the breath, aim at the breath, and then a kind of more receptive uh, way that we're with the breath, with more ease, with that relaxation, with the allowing of the breath, and that combination is, is one very um, basic way that we answer the question of skillful effort. It's a lot of what I'll, I'll be exploring. And just to say that um, this whole question of being skillful with uh, concentration practice, I think that this has so much to teach us generally about skillful effort in our lives. It's not just about concentration practice, to have that combination of knowing how to um, have a kind of active effort and combine that with a receptive effort, we have to use that language, or to have that combination of you know, showing up, being there, connecting with the breath, which does take a certain kind of effort, and then com- to combine that with ease and being there for the long haul. To me, these are very deep life lessons about wisdom, about skillful effort. And it goes way beyond concentration practice. You know, I was thinking of um, a few years ago, I, I did a book about connecting inner work with uh, social service and social change. And I both interviewed a large number of people who had that combination and I studied the lives of people like Gandhi and King and Aung San Suu Kyi and so forth. And what I found in all of their lives was a skillful effort, an emphasis on skillful effort of somehow, how do you work with the ups and downs? And how do you work with this deep aspiration? You know, we have a deep aspiration to come to freedom and how do we have skillful effort to move in that direction? It's parallel, maybe how does someone like King have a deep aspiration to come to justice and the beloved society? And you study their lives and it's actually very parallel. They had to have a sense of this skillful effort. So I think what we're really learning here is uh, part of our life wisdom. And I think when we go deeply into skillful effort in concentration practice, it really can lead to a kind of learning which can really inform our lives in so many different ways. That's just again to to, uh, remind us of that.
interesting that um, wise effort or skillful effort or right effort is one of the eight factors of the uh, Noble Eightfold Path. And it's mentioned repeatedly in the text. It was very, very crucial in the teachings of the Buddha to have uh, a sense of being skillful and wise. Uh, really, the, the, the word that's translated as right is sama, which again has that same root that samadhi has. And I think I like to translate that. Right was a word used by first by Victorian English. It sounds a little moralistic. And, but the meaning really is that of uh, mature or realized or well-developed. You know, I think it has that sense of moving towards that sort of summation of that, of that quality. And so it was very, very central in the teachings of the Buddha. And it was, uh, we sometimes uh, translate some of the key terms. We often translate it as effort, which gets tricky because of the connotations in English that connect effort with striving. I've heard some people actually use effort as a synonym for over-effort, right? So there's trickiness with the language. And so for some people, it can be more skillful to talk about energy or to talk about uh, perseverance or diligence or um, exertion. But the meaning really is, as that we'll be exploring, is that of a balanced, uh, a balanced effort or a balanced exertion. Part of what we encounter in our concentration practice is this process that we sometimes call the process of purification. And it is one of the main ways in the tradition that uh, concentration practice is talked about. It's often talked about as the purification of the mind and heart. That this is, this is something that goes on, that we, that we find that which is really in the way of our being able to concentrate as we concentrate. We see that which is difficult come up. You know, we have the sense of the hindrances come up or uh, there can be, as I mentioned, unresolved issues. We may have unresolved uh, grief from something from the past or unresolved anger from a particular situation. And those can be there. These are really there in all retreats, but they can be there a little bit more in concentration retreats. Sometimes the dreams are incredibly intense. Has anyone had intense dreams? Don't try to interpret them too much. (laughs) People come in and report being axe murderers and having these horrific uh, dreams, and they say, is this an indication of my true nature? <laughs> and th- this, this is, seems to be part of the purification process, is as if we uh, open up our being some, and some of what's been clamped down a little bit surfaces. It can appear in dreams, it can appear in the meditation, there can be 
again, all the energies of desire, aversion, and so forth, we can also touch uh, beautiful energies. You know, some of what uh, happens in the purification process is we touch wonderful energies. Um, in In my own experience, I often had retreats that would alternate between uh, touching more beautiful states and awakened states. And then I think, okay, I've got it. And then the next retreat would be a so-called purification retreat. So I don't know, there's my own particular background. So I've had retreats where I would be almost an entire retreat just with fear. These, these weren't concentration retreats, there were more insight retreats, just with fear. Another retreat, I was just with anger for like, um, about 18 hours a day for 10 days, you know, and, you know, anger wasn't the same after that, you know, or another, you know, other retreats with strong self-judgment, right? Just really being with that. It's one of the beauties of our practice that we sometimes have these uh, visitors or have these themes and we have the support and the tools to be skillful with them. So, um, you know, I, I think Michelle... McDonald Smith sometimes said that there's often in our practice an alternation between purity and purification. And it's important, I think, as uh, uh, I think Adrian said, to really see challenges like that in our, in our practice as not being the problem. You know, if only my grief wasn't there, then I could really get to my concentration practice. If only this wasn't there. And it's really important to have that understanding and really that kind of uh, surrender into being dedicated to being skillful with whatever comes up. That's really our practice. And so to know that there are these challenging states of mind and heart that are part and parcel of concentration practice. And we're not doing it wrong necessarily when they, when they come up. The real question is how to, be, how to be skillful with them. And so a series of, um, here are a series of suggestions and reflections on uh, being skillful with different kinds of uh, challenges, different kinds of states in the interest of uh, wise effort. And I I was reflecting that, I'll speak for myself, but I imagine this is true of many or most of the teachers. One of the reasons we get to this role is that we are experts on unskillful effort. (laughs) I can certainly, I can certainly say that in the context of concentration practice. I think, you know, and my hope is that our guidance can save you from being quite as immersed in unskillful effort as I was at times, you know. Um, and so, uh, and hopefully we also can guide you in skillful effort, right? Not just, not just say, don't do that. <laughs> you know, so just a few, a few basics in terms of skillful effort. Uh, it is helpful, and this is really true of our practice generally, it's helpful to have uh, moderation with food, with, with sleep, and so forth. Um, but we also need, I think we need a basic rest. We need to have you know, the conditions be such that we can actually feel 
that pleasure, that uh, ease that uh, Andrea was particularly talking about. So uh, having this, some retreats, we may actually be pushing the envelope and staying up late and going until we're totally exhausted at night and then waking up and maybe being pretty tired. It's actually helpful. This is what my teachers have taught me to have a good moderate amount of rest and to be reasonably rested the whole day. That that's important for skillful uh, concentration practice. And so that's an aspect of, of skillful effort. Another key, again, I think I'm repeating maybe with my own words what, what others may have said, is that a real core aspect of skillful effort is to stay with the practice in a balanced way. Despite the ups and downs, there are ups and downs. There are continual ups and downs in this practice. And this is really an aspect of what I'll talk a little bit, uh, uh, talk about in more detail later, an, an aspect of this, what we might call a more active effort. It's the staying with it, it's the showing up, it's the coming to the sittings, it's the doing of the walkings, it's the staying with the practice, even when uh, you don't feel like it, even when there are ups and downs, when you feel bored or not concentrated or saying this just isn't working, it's to stay with it. And there really, there's a benefit to that. Partly, it's very hard to know what's happening. It's very, and many of you who've done a lot of concentration practice know that you can be um, really quite unconcentrated and 15 minutes later have this deepening, right? It's mysterious, right? And we can't really assume that we know exactly what's happening, which also frees us from having to make a lot of decisions. We just stay with the practice, right? Does that sound good? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so uh, that's, that's, that's a big part of it. It's, again, but it's doing it in a relaxed way. It's coming back continually in a relaxed way. And it's the sense of keeping on starting over. No matter how it's been, we just start over with a sense of freshness. We keep, you know, we keep coming back in the sitting. We just keep coming back and we can really have that sense of um, starting again, whatever's happened, okay. I start, I start now, I come back, I come back now. A major challenge for our concentration practice is our repetitive and distracted mind. Does that sound true? <laughs> um, and that, you know, many of us have very, very uh, active minds. And in the long run in our practice, there are sometimes things that we can do over months and years that can really help. You know, for example, you know, there, there are aspects of diet and uh, body practices, which can be very helpful. Some people who I've worked with who have very active minds benefited tremendously by doing a practice like Qigong, which is like an, a practice that calms the nervous system and evens out the energy. And that has a huge influence on the ability to settle the mind and stabilize the mind. That's a longer term. We're not doing that here, but it can be very 
can be very, very beautiful practice. You know, this is more longer term, longer term guidance. Um, and so what to do when there are a lot of distracting thoughts? First, we want to notice that the thoughts are there. This is where our mindfulness comes in. We want to, uh, if there are very persistent thoughts, as in our mindfulness practice, we can give a thought a label, you know, so that it's on our radar more clearly. You know, and again, this is what we do in our mindfulness practice generally, that we can use labels. And we, so we try to notice those repetitive thoughts earlier on. You know, have a label for your top five repetitive thoughts, you know, as I don't know, either Adrian or uh, Andrea was saying, it's when we notice these repetitive thoughts, it's helpful not to feed the stray dogs. Remember that? That we, uh, we have the choice at times of not feeding those repetitive thoughts. It's actually a pretty significant part of concentration practice to not, as it were, indulge, to Again, we try to do this with this, this paradoxical combination of discipline and ease. It's not like, ah, you know, I did it again. We want to watch out for that judgmental mind. But sometimes we want to be very firm and we say, not now. Or what was that phrase from yesterday? Uh, that we want to say, no, not now. You know, in some of my own practices of concentration, I would sometimes, um, you know, when I'd be doing longer, uh, long, you know, be like 10 days into concentration retreat, and I'd still have this, this particular repetitive thought which would come along sometimes, and it would just be there. And I, it wasn't useful, it was just happening, it was just coming, coming up. And what I found sometimes is that I needed a certain amount of uh, vigor almost to, to work with it. And I would sometimes just, uh, you know, when it was there, I would just clap my hands. Or, you know, I would sometimes use in Tibetan tradition, sometimes uh, as a way of quieting the mind, they say, hey, very, very, very quickly. And I would do that. I would use a certain amount of vigor sometimes just to say no. Again, it's not, it has to be not really judgmental. But for me, that was helpful. You know, for me, that was quite helpful at times. And I remember once I, or actually a few times, I, um, I, brought, to, I brought up, uh, and this was with the help of a teacher, I brought up a kind of energy, which for me was like a tiger energy. There was a certain, you know, our repetitive thoughts sometimes need that discipline. And there was a little bit of this fierce energy that was fierce but gentle, of, of this gentle, fierce tiger. <laughs> and I would sometimes summon the energy and, and just... And I found the repetitive thoughts did not hang around as much. <laughs> so it have to be used with a little bit of care, right? Because this isn't about, you know, just banging down the thoughts and judging them and so forth. So it's a little subtle, but... Anyway, then that was helpful for me, kind of that tiger, the tiger energy and so forth. And if you have too much tiger energy, you want to use like a different metaphor. So anyway, but that, that was helpful for me. And again, it's not, it's not a sense of self-judgment. Or it could, be, it could be the reflection, you know, when there are a lot of repetitive thoughts. Now is the time to go more deeply. Right? Some sort of wisdom 
reflection. It could be connected with the, the request, like uh, Andrea was mentioning. It could make a request. You know, now is the time to go more deeply. May I go more deeply? You know, may, may the repetitive thoughts fade? Something like that could be, could be said. There's also that uh, very important quality that we've emphasized some of the role of enjoyment and happiness in deepening concentration. You know, it's, and it's really the, the quality of the happy or content heart. That when we have those qualities more present, there, there can be that kind of deepening. You know, we've seen how, and this is again very clear in the teachings of the Buddha in various uh, contexts, that, uh, that a kind of settling of the mind in happiness and contentment is a way that concentration uh, deepens. It's a cause of concentration. And I think we can have a sense of that. When there's contentment, it's like we are not wanting anything and we're not pushing away anything. And so there's the, like the activity of the mind is not there in the same way. And so um, we can really invite that sense of contentment and we can really uh, cultivate, uh, cultivate the happiness in, in, in the metta and in other practices, Content, uh, um, cultivate the pleasure. And as, that, as our practice deepens, there can be that sense, there is that sense of peace and happiness, as we've been mentioning, that when we're actually just with the object of attention, there is a natural contentment and peace which is there. You know, I, I remember, I think the first time that I really had a sense of this was uh, in, a, in a way that had an impact on me, like uh, being, like when I was, I, I think I probably was 18 or 19, I was in college. And I was um, working on an essay which I was really interested in. And I didn't do this very much in college, but that particular evening I did stay up more or less the whole night. <laughs> Some of you probably did that quite regularly. <laughs> and and I, was, I was just so immersed in it. It was like I was immersed in the exploration and there was such a joy and content. And I remember that morning going out and looking at the trees and at the buildings and there was, they were glistening. There was a way that my mind had come to a settled place just from that immersion, just from that immersion. I was very, very content and very, very happy. From the Buddha, when one dwells diligently, gladness is born. When one is gladdened, rapture is born. The body becomes tranquil. One experiences happiness. The mind of one who is happy becomes concentrated. It can be really that sense also of the, the, the deepening of the metta, the deepening of the heart. For some of us, we may want to cultivate that happiness by taking our concentration practice almost, again, it was uh, suggested, I think, by, by Andrea, as almost like a devotional practice. There is a way that we can have, you know, much like the people who practice kirtan or chanting, uh, which is a form of concentration practice. I have a friend whose concentration practice is to chant all day in daily life and in, on retreats. 
it's chanting and it opens up the heart. It has her staying in the place of the opened heart continually. And that can be a way that we approach being with the breath. We can, we can be with the breath and uh, you know, we can think of the breath as someone very dear to us. You know. We can think of the breath, breath as a close friend, as a lover, as a, as a precious being in our lives. And we can relate to it like that in ways that tend to open the heart. You know, and again, it would be, we would relate to the breath in that way with ease and with, and with, and with balance. And it can be quite, quite beautiful. We can relate to the breath as this dear friend and as someone who is actually helping to open up mysteries for us. You know, we stay with the breath. My dear friend, I will stay with you. Please help me to open up to the mysteries of concentration. Right? It's a possibility. We can bring that element more in. If that resonates with you, you can have that sense. It can be a request or it can be just an aspiration that you bring at the beginning of the sitting and say, may I be with the breath as a friend and invite it. What mysteries will be revealed by you, my dear friend, the breath. Another way that is related to that that's helpful is actually to have a sense of the mysterious quality of concentration practice. Again, this is related to the fact that it's actually very hard to know what's going on at times. And it's mysterious. And I know for me certain breakthroughs in my practice occurred when I let go of trying to think that I knew what was happening and even trying to figure out what was happening. And I, in a sense, um, took refuge in the mystery. And I would sometimes make a, like an intention at the beginning of a sitting, may I just be with the mystery of this. And that helped me at moments not to be tight. You know, when I, in the past, I might have been tighter, right? And so, again, something you can, off, you, can, you can do, you can try, just to set the intention, may I be with the mystery of this process. It really helps again with that ease and relaxation because it, ease, it eases the nervous doer. The nervous doer in meditation, right? It eases, it eases, eases that. Another aspect of practice which may be useful for some of us is actually to do longer sittings. That's been particularly helpful for me to sit when it seems appropriate, when it's not pushing too much or grabbing onto things too much, to actually uh, stay sitting for an hour, an hour and a half, even two hours. And I'll, I'll let you know the way that I work with this because, as I've mentioned, uh, being with the body in a reasonably comfortable way is important. Uh, the way I would do those longer sittings is I might sit for an hour and then I would stand up for five minutes keeping the practice going and I would sit back down for another 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour and I might, you know, depending on the circumstance, I might stand up a few times but I would stay in that one place and for some people this really can help with deepening. You know, it's that staying with the 
uh, staying with the breath in that sustained way. If it feels like straining or pushing too much, then pull back from that, not so skillful. I have all these further tips. I'm going to have to be selective. I'm not going to tell you some of these tips <laughs> because I don't have time for all of them. I want to get to a quite important theme, uh, which is the theme of striving and goal orientation in concentration practice, which is it can be a big uh, issue, can really get us stuck in many ways. And there can be a lot of confusion about that. We can think, oh, I'm a spiritual practitioner. I don't have any goals, right? We may think that, or I may think, um, I have this goal in concentration and I'm going to get it. I, Donald, I'm going to concentrate hard and really do it. Right? And so there are a lot of, uh, lot of confusion about it. And I want to try to uh, sort out a few of those issues because it's important to have some clarity about that. Uh, there are a lot of deep cultural forms of conditioning about striving, performance, being recognized for performance as the way to get love, like getting grades. Has anyone been through that? <laughs> you know, it's a big one, right? It's a big one. And most of us have some version of that, either quite clearly in our consciousness or somewhere in the... Um, more unconscious layers that, are, that can be driving us. And so um, it's good to know that. And there are all sorts of issues around uh, control, around uh, doing well, around not being vulnerable, not opening up, not letting go of control, and so forth. Uh, and so we may find ourselves controlling things. We're trying to control things. We may control the breath. You know, I want to, you know, I've noticed in myself uh, numerous times helping the breath along as if the breath needs help, right? (laughs) Or helping awareness along, you know, as if awareness needs help, right? And there's, we can look for those residues of, of control and we want to come to a, a kind of, of resting. For myself, some of these issues of striving and goal orientation have taken years to unravel. This is very deep conditioning, right? And so some patience with these issues is important. You know? And for myself, different aspects of all this uh, revealed themselves over time at different moments. You know? And so it can be uh, quite, uh, quite important to see this. You know, for myself, I think... I came from a conditioning where I would would be rewarded for good performance. Then I come to doing meditation retreats. How do you know if someone's doing well in meditation? Everyone has his or her eyes closed and just sitting around, you know? How do you tell, how would other people know that I'm doing well? You know, so... This is when I was first practicing, when I was like a young man in my 20s with a certain kind of you know, coming out of um, 10 years of experience as a competitive athlete. And so, of course, meditation wasn't so different. Right? And I found myself saying, well, 
I don't, you know, it's really hard. I think I'll, people will know that I'm a good meditator if I sit for a long time and if I stay up late. That's clearly, that's clearly the way, right? <laughs> you know, and my mentor at the time was Larry Rosenberg. And I was, I remember, I was, did a lot of retreats where he was there also. I noticed that he didn't sit very long and he didn't stay up very late. <laughs> I knew, I knew he was very wise, but I couldn't quite make the connection. <laughs> and you know, anyway, eventually, eventually you stay in the practice. I, for me, it came to one point where I would, you know, I was really, I thought, okay, I'll really, really concentrate deeply. And I was sitting, doing long sittings. And um, I, I kind of did a lot of overexertion. And basically, I got sick. And I couldn't concentrate at all. And I sat in the hall making all sorts of sounds. And then I said, everyone knows that I'm a bad meditator. <laughs> so this is, so this, this is sort of what we're trying to save you from a little bit. <laughs> um, so, you know, when we, when we have that over-striving, it can, there can be strain in the body, strain in the mind, and we want to know what those signs are for ourselves. What are the signs when I'm overly straining or striving? You know, it can be tightness in the body. You know, we can be leaning forward. It can be, um, you know, we can, we can be approaching the breath aggressively. You know, okay. You know, like, like that. So we want to we wanna know... We want to know how, how that is and, and really look for that. We can really have more of a relaxed posture and just relate to the breath in a more, in a more relaxed way. A very important aspect of working with, uh, with striving and goal orientation is to really be clear about our motivation and really be honest about our motivation. We can really ask ourselves, what, what is my motivation here? Uh, and to be honest, and do I have some motivation that is questionable? We can really look at that. And it's, I think uh, having some problematic motivation, my motivation might be, I really want to get this concentration down and be a concentration star, you know, or some version of that. Uh, you know, some achievement to gain recognition, or we might, want to, we might use concentration actually to get away from life or to get away from certain issues. I'll really do deep concentration and I won't have to deal with those life issues. We call that spiritual bypassing, you know. And really, or we might be, uh, have the motivation, I really love that bliss and peace and I really want to just hang out in that be bliss and peace. And our motivation may be very strongly influenced by that. And of course, we want to invite um, recognition of that and also that motivation to connect with the goal of deepening concentration for the purposes of greater freedom. So to connect with that, uh, with that deeper motivation and see where, there's not, where there is a problematic motivation. Again, I don't think we suppress that. I think we may often be practicing with some degree of mixed motivation. We just want to increase the skillful motivation and be aware of the unskillful and just and, and see that. Part of the way that we work with this issue of striving is that we balance 
this more active effort with a more receptive effort. And we've been really emphasizing that. You know, the active effort is showing up, staying with it, keeping on with the practice of aiming at the breath, connecting with the breath, again, in an, as easeful a way as, as we can. And um, being skillful with the hindrances and so forth, that's all a part of the more active effort. And then there's also this receptive effort, which is very crucial, even emphasizing the relaxation, the ease, the, the softening, the allowing. And we might ha- find our own words for this that really help. And I find it often helpful at the beginning of a sitting to bring up, you know, if, if we're more on the, on the side, as it were, of being pretty good at active effort and not so good at receptive effort, then we can really uh, cultivate more the receptive effort, the ease, the relaxation. And so it's good to know what's my pattern. And I can really, uh, you know, the, the active effort's useful, but we want to then maybe bring in more of the ease. If the active effort is there, then we want to bring in more of the, of the ease. We can, we can do that again by some of the things I mentioned, have that sense of mystery, have that sense of relaxation, um, you know, to, really, uh, lighten, to really lighten up sometimes the active effort, to really have sometimes the sense of just really being in this flow with, with the breath. Over time, there's a kind, there can be a, what we could call a kind of thinning of the doer, which is a big part of the deepening in our practice. So we want to really know how that works for ourselves. We want to know where we are on that side of of being uh, a little bit more inclined to to do the active practice versus the more receptive receptive practice. And even with the connecting with the breath, we can also differentiate when are we connecting with the breath more aggressively or more, more in a, a way that is, uh, involves more doing? And can I even connect with the breath with more ease, with, more, with that kind of uh, soft effort? <clears throat> As we continue to be skillful with our effort in concentration practice, I think there comes to be a kind of uh, joining of what I'm calling active and receptive effort. And we really have this way that in a sense we go beyond our usual notion of effort, which might be, I'm gonna do it, you know, that's the active effort we actually start going into a place where our language isn't really adequate. And when we, as, our, as our practice deepens, we, I would say, go into a place beyond language with our deepening practice, where skillful effort can't really be talked about very easily. And people who try basically use paradox we talk about a non-doing doing. You know, we talk about how our practice is both profound effort and a profound letting go. 
You know, and that doesn't usually make sense to our habitual minds. We encounter that kind of paradox where we have to, in a sense, surrender to the process. You know, we come across the paradox of, I really want to deepen, and yet if I hold on to my wanting about deepening, I won't deepen. (laughs) So in order to deepen, I have to let go of clinging to my wanting to deepen. Do you get the sense of language starting to collapse? (laughs) Right, you know, and we... um, we work with that, you know, we, it's really that surrendering into the process. As, as it deepens, as our practice deepens, there's that sense of being with this mysterious process in which we both want that deepening and we let go of the wanting in a certain basic way. T.S. Eliot, said once, ours is in the trying, the rest is not our business. There's also another kind of paradox that in a sense, as we've sometimes brought out, the concentrated mind and heart in a way are are reflect our natural being. There's a a powerful response that I I think I mentioned in in talking about metta from Adipama, one of the great meditators of the 20th century, who was basically a um, housewife from Calcutta who had very, very powerful gifts of concentration. And she was once asked by Jack Kornfield, what's your mind like? And her answer was, there are three things in my mind, concentration, peace, and metta. And there's a way in which we open to that, those natural qualities. And the paradox is <clears throat> that we practice diligently in order to get to what's natural. <laughs> Paradoxical, right? How do, we have to practice to be natural <laughs> because in a way, we're unnatural. <laughs> yeah. The first retreat that I ever did, I had been studying, uh, I was a student at the time and I was studying psychology and I was very interested in altered states. And after my first retreat, I said, you know, I was, I wasn't experiencing altered states. I was experiencing natural states. Civilization is an altered state. (laughs) And there's a way in which we touch that kind of natural state. And it's paradoxical in in a certain way. And I want to just end with one other sense of paradox, which could be expressed as, as our skillful effort matures, we move towards that non-doing, doing. Another language, another set of words we can use, we move towards effortless effort. And actually this is something which we find 
when people are highly proficient in really anything, like think of a musician at a, you know, a high, very high level of accomplishment, there's tremendous effort, but it's not effort, or an athlete. Tremendous effort, but in some sense there's not effort. You know, I talked, uh, I talked with my uh, mother, I talked with my mother a lot about concentration practice. You know, she says that the only form of meditation I want to do is concentration practice. And um, we were once talking about it, and she's also a musician, you know, as well as having been like a, uh, at times an activist, worked a lot with issues of poverty and racism and so forth. But she was, uh, she, she talked, she said music is my concentration practice. And she said that in giving a concert, if there's a sense of self or of how one is doing, it's not good. <laughs> she said, you have to let yourself be taken over by the music. That's the spirit of our practice, to let ourselves be taken over by this practice. And we come to a way that we come to this effortless effort. And I'll just end with an expression of this from the, from the Buddha. He was in dialogue with a diva, which is a sort of a celestial being. Tell me, dear sir, how you crossed over the flood, which are the, through the hindrances, the distractions, the ways one gets caught. Tell me, dear sir, how you crossed over the flood. And listen to this as a, as a way of understanding skillful effort. I crossed over the flood without pushing forward, without staying in place. The deva, how did you cross over the flood without pushing forward, without staying in place? When I pushed forward, I was whirled about. When I stayed in place, I sank. And so I crossed over the flood without pushing forward, without staying in place. So we move towards that ease where the, where we're really not moving in any way and where we are with the process more and more fully, which is the process of our deep nature. That's the direction of our practice. Thank you for your very kind attention. And may we all stay with it. Thank you. (laughs) 